Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'll be discussing the only new release of the weekend, Birds of Prey, and compare it to its predecessor, Suicide Squad, talk about the Oscar shorts that they showed in theaters this weekend, and then go into the Oscars. So yeah, let's get started. <laughs> Is that a hyena in a bathtub? I named him Bruce after that hunky Wayne guy. <laughs> so I decided to um, rewatch Suicide Squad in to get a fresher idea of the movie in my mind because I remember I looking back at uh, Letterboxd when I re-reviewed Suicide Squad. The first really the first time I saw it, I gave it a three stars out of five. This time it was a one star out of five, and I think. I was much more forgiving of the badness because it hadn't sunk in yet. I was still in that big blockbuster Hollywood superhero movie mindset. I'm like, I had fun, so it wasn't that bad, but it was stupid, so it wasn't that bad. And now rewatching, I'm like, oh wow, this is this is unfor like this is this is incompetent. This is sheer and utter incompetence. Like number one. The, they overloaded the movie with clips from popular songs, which is fine for a trailer, but you but trying to do that an entire movie is a terrible idea. And that's why you don't hire trailer editors to edit an entire movie, Warner Brothers. Who in the what executive thinks that trailer was popular? They should make they, they should edit the entirety of the movie. Whose bright idea was that? Ugh. Um, not to mention the fact that it's terrible dialogue. Too much exposition to try and explain the Suicide Squad. Like, and like it's, it's like they didn't trust the audience to know or care about these characters in their own right or to write their backstories naturally. So we had to have an info dump on all of them in order for us to give a damn. And it's like, come on, that's just lazy. Um... I also don't think the Enchantress was a good villain. You know who would have been, and I think the um, the uh, animated movie Suicide Squad: Escape from Arkham or whatever it was, the one where they team up with Batman did did this. The Joker is the villain, and they and think about it: Harley Quinn is recruited to stop the Joker, and the overarching fight is: does she does she give in to J Joker or does she follow? orders because you know at risk of um suicide you know committing suicide essentially and yeah i think that would be that way joker also has an in with the team so there's always that worry of is she gonna is she gonna turn on us or something that would be interesting enchantress is a lame antagonist she's just she, there was no reason to not bring in the main main dc heroes like bring in superman bring in Batman bringing all these people because they have they should be fighting the Enchantress. This is not Suicide Squad is a black ops, you know, covert team. Like they're the like in the animated uh, series, ju uh, the Justice League series, they're the ones who infiltrated the just the Justice satellite, the Justice League satellite in space. Like that's the kind of stuff that the uh, Suicide Squad does: covert black ops espionage. That sort of thing, you know, assassinations, things of that nature. Taking out the Joker. Yeah, the Joker's planning something, and um, Batman convinces, and, and uh, Batman is 
MIA for some reason or something like that, or Batman has Batman has been presumed dead, maybe? Like, oh, the Joker finally killed the bats. Who's gonna stop him now? And then they bring in the Suicide Squad, but it turns out Batman wasn't dead the whole Batman wasn't dead this time or something. I don't know. Um like he was kidnapped by the Joker or something like something. Like, there's ways to tell the story, and but the Suicide Squad is supposed to be low-key, and it wasn't for for some stupid reason. So they could have another portal-in-the-sky third third act climax for some stupid reason. Um, also, they wasted Slipknot and Katana. They have the, the, those two characters. There's no reason to be there. The, the climax is generic and forgettable. And they just ultimately don't allow for the nuance of letting villains be villains. Like, the whole point, like, yes, make them more three-dimensional, but at the end of the day, these are villains. They're not supposed to be the heroes, they're supposed to be the villains. And you can't, it's the, pro, it's the same problem I have with Maleficent. You can't just let the bad guy be the bad guy anymore, now they gotta be a misunderstood anti-hero. It's like, no, they can be the protagonist, we can just, you know, know that they're bad. Come on, it's not that hard. But uh, yeah, it's it's a one out of five uh, upon rewatch. It is absolute garbage. But um, Birds of Prey, thankfully, takes the ball and runs one runs much farther with it. It's not perfect, but in terms of the current iteration of DC, this and Shazam are the best they've got, and they're also the most lighthearted of the of the lot. So imagine that having a lighthearted comedy movie makes 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 it more fun. Imagine that, uh, but yeah, it's it, we're, it's they've definitely taken some hints from Deadpool. Harley breaks the fourth wall a lot, and if Harley Quinn's gonna be the DCEU's uh, Deadpool, I'm for that. I'm absolutely down with that. Uh, they make great use of their R rating and have great gory, bloody violence, some amazing kills in this movie. Absolutely fantastic. And on top of that, you've got a really solid cast here. Um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is great as Huntress. She's like this, not to give too much away, but they dig into the idea that Huntress was trained to be an assassin from an early age. So she's terrible at interacting with people. So you've got this kind of, you've got this hero who thinks she's a badass and is a badass, but has no idea how to talk to people normally. (laughs) So they play, they, they actually play with that a bit. It's a lot of fun. Um, Rosie Perez is fantastic as Renee Montoya. Perfect casting for her. Um, you've got, uh, what's her name? Uh, playing, what's, what is she in? Uh, who, I know uh, her from something. Uh, Smollett Bell. Uh, oh, honey. Temptation Confessions of a Marriage Counselor. What were you doing there? Oh no! Um, apparently, she uh, was in *Eats Bayou*, uh, *Friday Night Lights*. She was big on the TV series. Um, oh my God, she was in the '96 uh, Robin Williams movie *Jack* as one of the kids. Um, *Roll Bounce*, *Gridiron Gang*, *Hanging with Mr. Cooper*, the short-lived '98 Cosby series. Um, Defenders, whatever, The Defenders, whatever that, some short-lived legal comedy, Mob Doctor, True Blood she was on, Underground. I'm sorry, they finally did it! I missed it! 
I kept saying that they should do an Underground Railroad TV series, and they did it for WGN, and I missed it. Ooh, she's going to be in this new show called Lovecraft Country for HBO. That's going to be later this year. Uh, but yeah, Journey Smollett-Bell, she's not really big, but she's been in the game for a bit. Uh, she is uh, Jesse Smollett's sister. Jesse Smollett being the guy from Empire who got into a big um, controversy for apparently making uh, false accusations that he suffered a hate crime. Uh, there's a big controversy on that, I know. But uh, that this is his sister, and she plays Black Canary, and I think she does a great job as Black Canary. It's, uh, it's not, like Black Canary is usually like the traditional femme fatale, but here she's just like a a... Uh, downtrodden, like, just trying to live her life, man. And uh, being the uh, lackey to the main villain this time, who is a very, fairly underused Batman villain, Black Mask, here played by Ewan McGregor. I knew, I was first introduced to Black Mask in Batman Under the Red Hood, where he's the main villain there. And I know that... um, that he's in, I, I believe, Arkham Origins, one of the Arkham games, maybe that or Arkham Knight. He's one of the he's one of the uh, vi- villains there, and he's also got uh, Victor Zaz, uh, a, a recurring uh, psychopathic, uh, cuts himself kind of serial killer, and they play him off as like campy gay for some reason. It's really weird, like openly coded gay, despite it not really committing to the idea that they're a couple. They're just it plays, I mean, once again, this, I mean, for all intents and purposes, this is a gay-ass superhero movie. Not in the bad way. Like, in the best possible way. This is, like, abs, bisexuals, gay pe- gay men, gay women. This is, this is, this is all for you, baby. This is all for you guys. Enjoy it. And have a blast. And it's great. It's campy, hot, messy fun. And I love it. Um, but it's also really well shot and well put together. This is like really one of the be- this is definitely one of the better DC movies uh, they've released of late. I do think the Jazz Black Mask wasn't as well thought out as they thought it would be. Like they, them playing as a couple doesn't really work. But they also make uh, Cassandra Kane talk in this movie. So if you're into DC purism, puritanism, then yeah. Uh, that's not going to work for you. But I do think um, as a sort of setup to the Birds of Prey as a concept, for those who don't know, the Birds of Prey is um, sort of like an all-female-led Defenders from Marvel. You know how Mar- the Netflix Marvel series did the Defenders, the street-level heroes? Birds of Prey is like that. They are set in Gotham. It's all fe- it's all femme fatales, Huntress, Black uh, Canary. They normally include uh, Batgirl as Oracle sometimes. And it's a very, you know, it's a collection of female, normally some ties to the Bat family, uh, superheroines fighting street-level Gotham. And they tried to do a TV series back in the day. It sucked. Uh, Gail Simone is is one of her greatest comic book runs was through Birds of Prey. I think she may have created it as well. Let me double check that so I don't misquote it. Uh, I know they invited her to the set and she was, and she loved it. Um, Writer for Batgirl, Secret Six. Yep, uh, Birds of Prey, created by Gail Simone, I think. She at least wrote on it. One of her longest-running uh, gigs was... Series was conceived by Jordan B. Gorfinkel and Chuck Dixon, and then uh, Gail Simone took over for, like, a 50-episode a you know, 
52-issue uh, run. She wrote it for, is that a year? Or is that like 52 months? Is this a monthly comic or a weekly? It's not a weekly comic, I don't think. Whatever the point is, she was on the she was on she was you know one of her biggest runs it was on Birds of Prey, so yeah, uh, she was big on the uh, and she was you know happy to report on set that like it looked like everyone was having a blast and she like really uh, um, praised Margot Robbie for apparently just being a savant. Apparently Margot Robbie on set is able to like take about a week or so with uh, her training and then just come right back and be like, yeah, I got this de- I got this nailed down. And it's like, how did you do that? You know, it's like she gets so into whatever the training they're giving her and she just nails it. And yeah, I, I am I am super jealous the fact that she's not only a, just an amazingly uh, beautiful woman, but she's also like really charming and sweet and just apparently amazing. Like, are we sure she wasn't um, grown in a lab somewhere? That she wasn't created by science? This she does not feel human at this point. If she's like that amazing, but yeah, she. Uh, but yeah, Margot Robbie. This is this is her movie. You see this movie for Margot Robbie, and she carries this movie for sure. Um, and I think that's kind of a shame that they didn't let the other Birds of Prey really stand out as much. This is this is basically a, a Harley Quinn movie. They just call it Birds of Prey as a sort of back uh, door uh, pilot to future Birds of Prey movies, and I don't know. Uh, I feel like that. I feel like I would. Ra- you know, I'm very curious to see what they do with Harley Quinn after this. I really want them because they hint that uh, Harley Quinn is bisexual. They make sure that they establish Harley Quinn is bisexual in this movie too. So they're they could very easily also um, they keep her name Montoya as a lesbian. Which is a nice touch that they didn't change that. Um, she dated Ali Wong in this movie. <laughs> that was a that was a that was an interesting bit of casting. Uh, but I really hope that they do another Harley Quinn movie. I hope this does well enough to warrant another Harley Quinn movie. Not not even tied to Birds of Prey, but Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. Set up Poison Ivy and make it like a rom com chaotic evil supervillain movie i would absolutely adore that um but yeah as for this this was fun this was the this is the nice this is the most fun i had of the theaters this year so far um yeah january was a bit of a slog not really anything great but uh, yeah birds of prey was a lot of fun and yeah this is the first good movie of the year so if you get the chance go check it out a lot of fun ewan mcgregor's great too uh just everybody, uh, the cast is great. It's campy, good-natured fun, and it, it's not afraid to make use of that R rating. So, you know, take it at face value. It's not going to be super deep. It's just going to be a, a you know goofy romp. It's a perfect for a Valentine's Day movie if you it just got released a week early. Now, unfortunately, I don't really have a bumper for this, but I but I also got the chance to see the Oscar-nominated shorts in theaters thanks to this. Thing called shorts tv apparently that's going to be a new thing that they're going to start airing the, the live action and animated shorts before the oscars in theaters and i think that's a cool um cool idea and i hope they do it again next year but um yeah it was really interesting to finally get a chance to see the short uh the short the live action and um animation shorts for this year's oscars i suppose a couple of extra ones uh too but um yeah, this year, uh, so yeah, this year, uh, the nominees for live action short were Una Sir, Sir, 
uh, this, uh, a sister in uh, which is a Belgian short uh, film about a woman who is being kidnapped and has to fake a call to emergency services as a call to her sister as they try to help rescue her. Uh, it's a really solid uh, thriller. Um, uh, they also had Brotherhood, which is a Canadian, Tunisian, Qatari, Swedish production. Whole lot of hands in this, you know, whole lot of uh, hands in this soup. But um, the setting is uh, Tunisia, um, where a farming family, like right around the coast, uh, is just going about their business when their eldest son returns from fighting for ISIS in Syria. He brings back with him a pregnant wife who is decked out in the full um, burqa. And then the meanwhile, um, the Tunisian family are much more of a moderate Muslim. You know, they practice Islam, but they're not into like full veil covering. They're not very, uh, they're not hardcore conservatives like, you know, the, the founders of ISIS are. And so they, they, there's this... There's this weird, you know, they're very concerned about what exactly their son did in, um, especially the father, who's the main focus of this story. He's very concerned about what exactly his son did while he was over in Syria. And it's the main uh, drama is the son trying to get reintegrate back into his family and the father trying to, you know, de- you know, come to terms with what exactly his son did and learning the truth of what happened while he was over there. And it's a really, it's a really... Uh, it's melancholy. It's a melancholy story because, you know, there's, a, there's some tragedy to it as the father has to deal with, you know, the consequences of his actions for doing what he thought was right at the time and then learning the truth. It's a very powerful uh, short. I highly recommend it. Uh, Neighbor's Window was from the U.S. Just something about a couple in New York um, raising their kids. They have they don't have blinds for some reason, so they look across the street to the next uh, apartment complex where the neighbors also don't have blinds. I don't know why nobody in New York can afford blinds for some reason, but um, they watch each other. And so we get the first point of view from this, this married couple as they watch this younger couple uh, and think, oh, we, we used to be cool once. And then it turns out, oh, things are not always as they seem. Grass is always greener. Ba, 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 ba. Eh, not my cup of tea. Not, 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 this is my least favorite of the, uh, nominees my favorite is the next one saria it is a u.s produced short uh based on the true story of these guatemalan orphan girls they're they're held basically in what is essentially a prison it's not even like a a true orphanage it's essentially a prison and they're treated uh, and they're treated and abused like prisoners and and it's awful to watch. You know, they're abusive. They're forced to do labor. They're definitely, you know, they de- they don't shy away from the fact that the girls are used uh, for rape by older men. And eventually it comes to a standoff with police as they, as they stand up against their abusers and perform a prison break. But it ends in this really sad, tragic moment. And it, it, it's a, sh- you know, it, it, it's a real, it, it makes you pissed that it ever happened and it makes you want those who uh, caused all of this suffering to just see no peace no peace for their for the for the villainous things that they've done they're just awful awful human beings and yeah it's it's really it really is just a powerful short i highly recommend it if you have the stomach for it and then um the funniest one of the shorts because most of the shorts have been dramas 
This is the re only like the like the uh, neighbor's window is more comedic. This is the one that felt like a real comedy, and it's a dark comedy. This is called the Nefta Football Club. It takes it's a French produced uh, set in Algeria, and you've got these two kids just you know going about their day when they come across a, a donkey wearing headphones and listening to music. And it's set up at the beginning of the movie that there's these two guys who sent the donkey off listening to the headphones. And it cuts back and forth between the older older of the two kids. I think they're brothers. Um, and it turns out, this is literally a drug meal. Like, you know, there are drug meals, and then there are literal drug meals. And that's what they found. And the older brother knows it, but he doesn't, but the younger brother doesn't. And it, it, the, the punchline at the end of the movie, I don't want to give away, but it was absolutely hilarious. I want to see a full-length feature film of this. I loved it. Nefta Football Club, if you get the chance to see it, go seek it out. It is, it's dark. But it's hilarious. It is great. I, if nothing else, I want the uh, whoever's behind this to make their own feature film because they've got the talent for it. Uh, the next one is, and so for the animation, we uh, the nominees were uh, Hair Love by Sony Pictures uh, that this showed in front of Angry Birds Two, based on a short based on a kid's book. It's about a father, a black father and his daughter bonding over trying to style her hair which is uh very, you know very um very hard to control as it were and uh there's it's great animation Issa Rae is the only voice in it and it's all about um there's, you know there's the real twist which you know it takes a bit for you to catch on that what this is what this is what the twist is but it's a really sweet twist uh once it's once it's revealed and uh, once the father and the daughter, and once the father finally gets a hang of t doing his daughter's hair, and it's it's really touching, and uh, I liked it. Um, next one was a Czech sort of stop motion puppetry movie called Chera, which means daughter. It is told without dialogue, and it's the story of this father and daughter who are having this rocky relationship. Because the father's not at, because the daughter, and it's told through an interesting motif of a recurring imagery of birds uh, hitting windows. And the daughter is feeling like the little bird hitting the window, and the father at one point feels the same way after, you know, they, they just aren't really getting along well. And uh, there's a point where the father ends up in the hospital, and it, the daughter is reminiscing about all that's going on. And, um,. And it's a really it's a really sweet one. I really like it. Czech animation is very avant-garde and unlike anything else because there's the history of puppetry plus this all the stop motion that that led into. If you want to see something really messed up, look up a 1990 adaptation of Alice in Wonderland. It's by a Czech uh, stop motion artist. It uses a lot of taxidermy animals. It is nightmare fuel, but it is fascinating to watch it because it's all stop motion puppetry, and it's the Really, just the Czech animation scene is unlike anything you've ever seen. Uh, the next one is Sister, from uh, which is a joint Chinese-U.S. production. It's uh, felt stop motion, so everything's kind of like a felt cloth. It's got these really cute, creative, and um, and uh, like um, eye-popping visuals. Like it's really it takes makes use of the animation 
a medium very well, and it makes a really sharp right turn as it deals with uh, his sister. So you know, in uh, in China, and I mean, you could kind of see, you may be able to guess the uh, the twist. But I wasn't thinking about it. I just thought, oh, this is sort of like autobiographical. And then all of a sudden, boom, and <laughs> hits you with the twist. And you're like, oh, 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 now I'm sad. It's really sweet. But it's still like a really touching short. I liked it. My least favorite of the shorts only because I couldn't get into it was uh, mem- Memorable, Memorable, Memelo. Uh, it's French. Uh, oh, hey, the French one didn't really hook me. Shock of all shocks. But yeah, um, yeah, this one is stop-motion clay. It's beautiful animation. Absolutely gorgeous. It, it looks like, once again, the puppetry, it, it looks like uh, part, it's Van Gogh-inspired imagery. Feels like moving puppetry, and it's all like this really sharp, clay-like stuff that and it's really interesting to look at very great animation but um and it's a really melancholy story about a a man and um his slowly decaying mental health so be be aware that that's what that's about and you know what his family's doing to try and you know help him deal with it and it's really it's really melancholy like a lot of french art but uh it's really solid um not my favorite uh, definitely definitely my least favorite of the nominees but still a, f- a really fantastic um uh short just absolutely highly recommend and then my personal favorite of the shorts pixar's kit bowl and my only thing to say to pixar's kit bowl is like this if you cry every time because I'll be damned if watching Kitbull doesn't make me start tearing up every single time. Because he's, he's a cute little kitty and he's got all the kitty noises. And then there's the poor little Pitbull and the Pitbull's being used for the dog fighting. And it's like super sad. But then the, the kitty and the Pitbull just all without words, all without saying a thing. The, the, they, they, they help each other out. The kitty is, is, is sticks to itself. He stays by itself. But then it's through the friendship with the poor poor pit bull that the kitty finally opens up and it helps the pit bull escape and i'm crying i'm crying right now i i love kit bull kit bull is beautiful plus it's really beautiful like almost hand-drawn looking animation i don't know if this was cg or hand-drawn it looks beautifully hand-drawn i think that's what it was don't quote me on that though but if they managed to make it look hand-drawn with cg that's amazing but yeah it's I really am crying. I'm I'm tearing up thinking about Kitbull because Kitbull hit me and all hit all the right buttons to make me sad. <laughs> oh, it's really sweet. Watch it on Disney Plus if you if you have the if you have the emotional fortitude for it. They also included a bunch of shorts that I must have been nominated that must have been submitted but didn't get nominated. Cause I have no idea where they they just uh, they were just there to like pad out the runtime I guess, but um, got uh U.S. stop motion animated uh short called Henrietta Bulkowski. It's about this woman with a hunchback who wants to flop, become a pilot, but be, can't because of her physical disability. So she rebuilds a plane out in a junkyard. There, there's this cute little love story that happens when she meets uh 
security officer or police officer um, in, in the junkyard, and they sort of bond over their shared uh, disabilities. Christina Hendricks and Chris Cooper are the voices. They're the, they're the, oh, they're like, the, they're like, and I recognize, started, I heard the guy talking, I'm like, that sounds like Chris Cooper. Is that? Oh, hey, it's Chris Cooper. I know that guy. I like him. But uh, the twist ending reminds me of a Fayless review. I won't say which one. I'll just say if you, there are fa- there's a Fayless review of a Hunchback movie, and um, they have that same ending, and I could not take it seriously after that. But that's just me. Uh, it's not a bad uh, short. It's just I've been yeah my I have I have a bias over uh, the the ending they took because I've seen it done before and worse, um, and this and it, this one isn't is only slightly better. But uh, next one was from Ireland. It's the bird and the whale. It is done the exact what if you don't remember uh, a couple of years back they did a animated movie uh, about Vincent Van Gogh play that was literally every frame you know how there was the youtube channel every frame of painting loving vincent ev- literally every frame was a painting and that's how they made the movie animated by literally painting every frame this did the exact same thing it's a story about a humpback whale uh calf trying to find his voice and it's through meeting a shipwrecked bird who is trapped in its cage that it finally finds that voice. And it's really melancholy uh, towards the end, but it's really charming and sweet. And I, it did give me some weird Fantasia 2000 flashbacks because of the hunchbacks. Um, they looked very similar to what those Disney uh, hunchback whales, humpback whales looked like. Um, but it's a really charming uh, short. You could uh, definitely check it out. Um, next one was Hor- Orpiste. 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 I... Once again, my French is terrible. I am so sorry. H-O-R-S-P-I-S-T-E. Uh, it is a short CGI animated um, about... It has this cute, has this uh, campy 80s-like theme and has the neon lettering for the title. It's about the two best uh, rescuers in the world. And they go up the top of a mountain on a helicopter to rescue a, co- to rescue a climber. And then their helicopter crashes and wackiness ensues. It is a slapstick-driven comedy and it has great comedic timing. And if you get the chance, check it out. It's, it's clever and fun. So, uh, last one was another French production. It was called Maestro. It is CGI animated, and it is really beautifully rendered graphics of realistic-looking animals as they sing opera in the forest. And it is really well uh, lip-synced as and animated. It's really solid animation. I don't. I really. If you get the chance to watch Maestro, it's short. It's like a minute and a half long, maybe. Not even two minutes long at most, and it's a lot of fun. So yeah, those were the shorts, and uh, last thing we got to talk about are some ne- are the Netflix movies I managed to catch before the Oscar. So let's take a look at those. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Popcorn Junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. Oh. The last two, last uh, three things I had remaining to watch from Netflix. I didn't catch Honeyland, which is on Hulu, sadly, but I managed to catch the last three things for Netflix that were nominated for Oscars. Um, 
The first one I watched was the documentary Edge of Democracy, which is based on which it tells the story of the 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 rise and fall of uh, Lulu Silva de Silva and uh, Dilma Rousseff, who are the the two prominent recent uh, uh, presidents of the Workers' Party in Brazil, and how uh, they started off as these beloved socialist uh, leftist leaders and then got caught up in one of the biggest corruption scandals in Brazilian history and how part of that is also conservative, corrupt business people's ways of undermining their authority and taking away their power. And it's a really powerful documentary because I remember at the time uh, when this was going down, which was like around 2016, I want to say, I was working and listening to um, uh, BBC's World News podcast, and they were talking every like every couple of days. They would talk about uh, Dilma Rousseff or uh, the Silva's uh, upcoming trial, and they were talking about like one of the big once again one of the biggest corruption scandals in Brazilian history. Money tie tying all the way back, you know, I think o- o- over to America, I think just all kinds of money. It's basically seen as a money laundering scam. And it's, it's, I mean, once again, Brazilian politics is riddled with corruption. The whole thing is riddled with corruption. And this uh, documentary never shies away from that fact, as well as the fact that it's, uh, you know, tying into Brazilian history of relying on slave labor, which is why the rise of a very prominent, powerful socialist party was such a big deal, that the fact that the, the workers were being the ones with the power, and then for them to be betrayed, suppose you know, uh, by Dilma Rousseff and uh, Lula da Silva, and um, that feeling that ultimately led to the rise of the current fascist uh, president, uh, Bolsonaro. Yeah, Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro. I want to say yeah, um, and how he has basically undone all of the progress that. Uh, was done by the Workers' Party in order to cater to their business elites, just undone all kinds of uh, environmental protections for the Amazon, and just he's basically Brazil's Trump, and he acts like it, and he talk and he talks like it. He is just a just a, a a demon of a person, and he has no shame. And yeah, it's it it really is interesting because they also the director also ties it into her family's history with the Workers Party and how uh, her her father and mother were part of the leftist revolution back in the '60s and were there with Lulu da Silva at the time as he was becoming a prominent figure in Brazilian politics. And it's a really powerful, moving documentary. I definitely recommend you guys check it out. The other one was American Factory, which is about this Dayton factory that was used to be, I think, Chrysler or GM. GM. It was a GM factory that got shut down during the recession in 2008. In 2012, it was bought up by Huayo, which is a Chinese glass company. And they decided to expand into America, give Americans jobs, and just, you know, have part you know half partly chinese staff working with americans it was supposed to be this big international coming together of business relations and the movie you know sheds light on the fact that 
you know, as much as they talk a big game about, hey, international relations, we're building stronger ties, yay. Also, we're anti-union and we're giving you we're giving you poverty wages and we expect you to be efficient at the risk of your own health and livelihood. And yeah, the, the president of this, of the Chinese company will allow for a union in his, in for the Chinese workers, but not for America. Huh? Funny how that is, but yeah, it's, um, it really is just a disgusting breakdown of just how, um, just skeezy corporate capitalism just abuses and mistreats the workers and then is ultimately undone by its own hubris uh, because the whole thing ends with the rise of automation. So I think my problem is it's a powerful message and it's uh, moving to watch. I did not get engaged with this movie the way that I did with Edge of Democracy. I think the thing was, Edge of Democracy was better shot, not, not better shot, but better told. It's a story that was better told to me, rather than this, which feels like, and this is what happened when this thing happened. It feels like, it feels like you're a fly on the wall, but it doesn't feel like I'm being told a story. It feels like I'm watching B-roll, you know? And I think that was the biggest problem, is that Edge of Democracy, I was being told a story. I was being told what happened. American Factory, I'm watching B-roll. So, like, yeah, this is powerful stuff, but, like, you're just relying on the footage and you're not really... you're. It's so... I feel like having just a narrator break down everything that happened and then cutting to the B-roll would do, would do wonders to improve this. And I don't know. I think that's just me. That's my predilection when it comes to documentaries. I don't... I'm not there to watch B-roll. I want to be enlightened on a topic. That's why, you know, things as mundane as, uh, you know, nature, you know, na- you know, the, you know, the habits of birds in Antarctica or, um, uh, you know, various other things. What was the recent documentary I watched? It was one like a year or so ago where I watched it. I'm like, oh, I didn't even care about this topic before. And now I'm just in, entranced by it. Um, I forget what it was, but uh, yeah, it's just, it really is a shame that this didn't, this felt the need to just basically, I mean, it's, it's good that they're trying to remain unbiased, but at the same point, like you still want to tell us a story you want to tell show the narrative and have a cohesive story to be told through your documentary it's just you i think without the a narrator to tell you the story it just feels like you're watching b-roll and i feel like that's a disappointment i feel like you could do better i don't know that's just me um and also the ad automation just comes in right the hell out of nowhere. It's like, now all of a sudden the, the movie's about automation. Like, the last minute, the movie's all about automation. And I'm like, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. We're talking about Chinese-American relations and working conditions and unionization. What is all that? Now you're like, now the ending message is all about how automation's going to replace... Um, like, like, the through lines are very nebulous. They're not well... To, they're not well strung out. It's just like, oh yeah, this kind of like, I don't know. It just feels like it's not as it's not as strong as it could have been, especially given the source material that they're dealing with. Uh, but yeah, it's still worth a watch, I think. So yeah, check it out. Uh, the last one I watched, and I, I'll admit I didn't get to finish it just because of the time crunch. I started it a, 
about an hour before the Oscars, and I got about halfway through. But ultimately, I didn't. I'm not missing much of anything. Marriage Story is just a lesser version of Kramer versus Kramer. Having not seen Kramer versus Kramer, I know for a fact Kramer versus Kramer is the pre- is what exactly this movie's trying to be, because all divorce movies essentially tie back to Kramer versus Kramer. They're all in the shadow of that movie, and it ultimately feels like they're all trying to play copycat. And it's not the movie's fault. It's just that's always that shadow is going to loom long over all kinds of stories, like even including bits and pieces about and the entertainment. I think this is my problem. I do not care about the industry anymore. I have seen so many movies about. Working in theater, working on TV, working in New York, working in L.A., working on film, working in the entertainment industry. Ah, bah, 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 bah. I have this. You know, and you know what the, the other problem is. This ties into is writers who write writers. Uh, you know, authors who will, uh, who make their main characters writers because. Right, and they all go into their process of writing the you know, all the great things that writers do, and it's just like, oh, ugh, gag me with your self righteousness about your about your passion about your career. Isn't what we do amazing? Oh, oh, I just love all the things we do. <laughs> Just gag me with that nonsense. I'm done. I'm done with stories about L.A. I'm done with stories about New York. Tell me stories about, I don't know, Vancouver or, uh, you know, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Tell me stories about Helena, Montana or something. I, I, I could do my entire life without saying another pompous mumblecore movie about how great it is to live in New York and L.A. And I get it. It's a big city. Lots of stuff happens. How many upper-class white people do we have to hear stories about? Like, I get right what you know, and most of these people are upper-class white people, so this is what they know, but I don't care. I don't care. I don't like these people. You're not making me care about these people. The watching, watching their ugly divorce because lawyers are awful doesn't help either. It really is just a just a awful slog of a movie to sit through. Not as bad as um, Irishman. I'll give it that. This isn't as uh, up its own ass as Irishman was. That one was up its own ass, and it's just unforgivable to watch. Marriage Story is just over. I think the other problem was film Twitter. Not you know like the nebulous title of film Twitter, but you know the cr- film critics on Twitter were raving about Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson's amazing performances in Marriage Story. How it's this great triumph of acting. And it's just like, yeah, they're yelling. Cool. Cool that they're yelling. Yes. Yelling is acting. Emoting. Acting. Well, you did give gift me with this acting talent. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm not into that. That's not what I think good acting is. Uh, we'll get into that when we get to the uh, nominees uh, for the uh, for the Oscars. 
But yeah, this is just feels like a mumblecore version of Kramer versus Kramer. It feels like rich white people problems, and I'm like, oh, gag me with your with your self-righteous, oh, woe is me, first world problem bullshit. I don't care. I think this movie was way overhyped for what it for what it was, and it definitely did not deserve the nominations over something like Just Mercy. Like, nah, nah, man, this ain't it. <laughs> this ain't it, man. This this is you can we can do better than this. Why did this get nominated, but my name is Dolomite didn't? Because I'm that's the next one I want to watch. But and, and this yeah, marriage story. You're not gonna miss a damn thing if you if you skip it. Because if you want to watch a story about a divorce crumbling, just go watch Kramer versus Kramer. That still exists. There's no reason to watch Marriage Story. Like as much as they want to praise the acting talent of Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson, they really. Oh, that's the other. That's the other thing. I do not care about Scarlett Johansson. Like she's she's good in Jojo Rabbit. There are some roles where she is good. I am so done with her not giving a shit. Like, how many movies do I have to watch her where she doesn't give a shit? Like, I just watch her every movie, especially big blockbuster movies. Her as Black Widow has been the worst part of the MCU at this point. And I'm so glad that we're almost done with her. And it just, I'm done with this woman who can't give a shit and then complains that she can't play a, a, a Japanese person or a trans man. And it's like, why can't I play a thing? I am an actor. Uh, well, I should be able to play a tree. Oh, gag me. You must be insufferable. <laughs> you and Colin Jost deserve each other, you self-righteous twats. Damn it. Oh, so yeah, not a big fan of ScarJo, and Adam Driver's fine, like, he's better in other movies, he did not deserve the win for this movie, and, uh, uh, not to give away who wins, uh, for the Oscars, but suffice to say that if he was gonna, Adam Driver's gonna win for a movie, it shouldn't be this one, he deserved, you know, he should have won for, like, Black Klansman, if he was gonna win an Oscar, but, yeah, this is, this is not it, friend, just, just skip it. And so with the reviews out of the way, let's dig into the uh, 2020 Academy Awards. And the award goes to... I did something interesting this year. Um, one of my favorite podcasts, Now Playing, did a hot mic thing. This is a new app called Hot Mic, where you can watch people as sort of like a commentary track to another thing that you're watching. So if like, you know how Rift Tracks will do things where you can listen to their commentary while you are watching a, a movie or, um, yeah, you know, DVD commentary tracks with directors or actors or whatnot. It's that. It's that sort of thing. And um, they did this with the Oscars. They were uh, actually, uh, they were actually um, uh, approached by Hot and Mike to do this thing. So I joined in and it was fun. We had, got a, had a lot of fun. We uh, talked a bunch of movie stuff, and we and a bunch of people. You know, it's kind of like Twitch in a sense because you can also tip people. YouTube does the same thing. It's kind of that sort of thing, and it, it was fun. I had fun, but uh, yeah, we watched the Oscars. There was no host this year, and you can tell it's not a good, not going to be a good ceremony when there isn't a host. Like say what you will about uh, having bad hosts. Having a bad host is better than having no host at all. Also, I feel like celebrity presenters just should not be a thing. Personally, have one host, host gives out the awards, 
No celebrity presenters. None of this nonsense. Just, just stop. I could go on and on about the the ales of the Oscars present presentation ceremony and how it's just ABC unwilling to actually try new things and be different between A, uh, television standards and practices, and B, hoity-toity Hollywood douchebags. So, yeah, it's... You know, it is what it is. Hollywood uh, Oscars are going to be your grandma's uh, award ceremonies for the for the for this time being until they finally decide to stop letting the blue hairs decide everything. But uh, this year, uh, the presentation, the um, awards were fairly uh, predictable. Um, in fact, one of the co-hosts of Now Playing actually had a prediction going, like a you know, like if he had actually bet money on who would win and the sort of Oscar pool. Then uh, and he did fairly well for the most part. Um, over the course of the night, uh, best supporting actor went to Brad Pitt. Uh, not undeserved, but it wasn't his best performance. Um, I forget who I said I wanted to win for that award, but Brad Pitt's fine, fine choice. Animated feature went to Toy Story Four because it's Disney's officially licensed animated feature. They might as well just say, you know, hold here for Disney movie. It just, it just is what it is. And I get the one thing that they mentioned that um that the same co-host mentioned that basically since he worked in Hollywood for a time, most of the Academy voters are busy working on things. They don't have the time to watch the screeners. So I feel like. They should allow for more time for these people to, like, sit and watch the screeners when they return home from a day at work or something like that, you know? Sit and unwind with their family watching the screeners and deciding what to, what they think. I don't know. Like, I feel like they should wait. They should announce the Oscar nominees at the beginning of January. Wait till the beginning of March or so for the for the ceremonies or something. I don't know. I just It just feels like... Like, nobody watches the thing, so it's all political, and it's all based on, hey, I know that guy. So, it, it, it the, the whole process is a bunch of nonsense and chaos. It's like a, it's like having a caucus instead of a primary. But, um, uh, yeah, uh, next up was Animated Short, went to Hair Love. I was pushing for Kid Bull. I'm, I am okay with Hair Love. Any of the winners there would have been fine. Any of the nominees there would have been fine. So, yeah. Best Original Screenplay went to Parasite, and I was shocked at that, because I was like, huh, I thought they were just going to relegate Parasite to the Best Foreign Language Film. Well, good for them. Best Adapted Screenplay went to Jojo Rabbit. Good for that. That was that was my favorite of the nominees this year. Um, production Design went to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, which is fine that... Uh, they they painstakingly tried to recreate 60s era Hollywood and they did fairly well. So yeah, good for them. Uh, costume design went to Little Women. Yeah, period piece. That's usually who wins costume design. Best documentary feature went to American Factory. Not my pick, not my go-to pick, but you know that's it's not a it's not a bad winner either. Any of the once again the documentaries, most if not all are solid picks. Uh, Best documentary short. These were the one. This is the one category I didn't really get a chance to nominate to to see any of the nominees besides the one on Netflix. Uh, this one went to the one about uh, teaching Afghani girls to skateboard, and um, yeah, I've heard that story before on like Facebook. Uh, it was a big thing going around, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a solid premise for a documentary, and I I hear good things about it. So uh, that one was good. Uh, best. Supporting actress was Laura Dern. Uh, she was nominated for uh, um, for uh, 
Marriage Story, but I think she was way better in Little Women. Because, like, her in Marriage Story is like, yeah, she's a sleazy lawyer, and that's fine and all. But I feel like she was much better, much more fun in Little Women. But, uh, yeah, Laura Dern, yeah, she's great. Love her. Uh, best Sound Editing, went to Ford versus Ferrari. Yeah, that's fine. That's a solid pick. Sound Design went to 1917. Okay, I would have kept it with Ford versus Ferrari, but that's also a good one. Cinematography went to 1917, which is good because Roger Deakins is the reason to watch that movie. And uh, then Best Film Editing went to Ford versus Ferrari. And Visual Effects went to 1917. So, like, all the major technical awards went to either Ford versus Ferrari or 1917. And that's not never a, really, never a good sign. Uh, best Hair and Makeup went to Bombshell. Uh, and that's fine. That's a decent choice. Uh, best score went to Joker, uh, which got all these big nominations, but that was its first win of the night, was score. Uh, best song went to Elton John and, um, Bernard, Ta- Bernie Taupin for, uh, their original song for Rocket Man. And we had a good discussion in the chat for that, basically that, um, we should do away with best original song. And I, my personal suggestion is best, it is best either, uh, Vocal performance, singing in a movie, or best use of a song, best song in general. Not, I, th- I think um, doing away with original song do, does away with that whole idea of like, we stuck this song at the end of the credits, so that we got nominated. Like, it was a bigger deal when we had musicals all the time. I feel like just doing away with best original song, original quote-unquote song, and just doing best vocal performance not only does away with the idea that we have to nominate the song itself. You do away with the whole notion of like adding in extra songs to things like Aladdin, Cats, uh, um, Lion King. There's probably going to be one of those for In the Heights coming up next year because they're going to, since they're adapting that into, they're going to be, oh my God, what if they do one? I really hope they don't do one for West Side Story, for Steven Spielberg's West Side Story coming up in December. Oh God, please no. Yeah, um... Best, do away with best original song, make it best vocal performance. That way you can do things like nominate Jennifer Hudson for singing Memory or Taron Edgerton for uh, singing um, singing in uh, Rocket Man. So, the, and you don't have to be beholden to the song itself. It's the actual vocal performance. But um, yeah, I'm going to uh, address that in something coming up. I'll announce that at the end of the episode. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Best song went to the one in Rocket Man that I don't remember. Um, best directing went to Bong Jun Ho for Parasite. Big upset. Everyone thought that. Oh, I forgot to mention a uh, foreign language um, went to Parasite, and uh, that was the one I, only one of them I saw. So I kind of abstained from that, but I figured it was going to win anyway because I've been getting a lot of big buzz. And Bong Jun Ho winning Paras- for Parasite was a big upset because everyone figured it was going to be Sam Mendes or Quentin Tarantino. I personally thought they were going to give it to Marty since they nominated him and a bunch of everybody else for Irishman. Thankfully, Irishman uh, won no awards and didn't deserve a single one. I'm still kind of upset that Laura Dern won for Marriage Story because that shouldn't have deserved any awards either, but I'll just say it's for Little Women. Uh, so yeah, Bong Joon-ho was an upset for Best Director and... Uh, yeah, he did. He, he and good for him too. Uh, best lead actor uh, was Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, so he won two awards that night. 
Uh, and it was probably the best two parts of Joker. Like, you don't nominate... Like, Joker shouldn't win for best screenwriting. Uh, I, I would have been okay with hair and makeup. But uh, Joaquin Phoenix is the reason to watch Joker. And the score was really good, too. The score was solid. Um, but, yeah, it was... So, so, yeah, I'm glad that those were what it won for. Best lead actress was Renee Zellweger for playing Judy Garland. And I missed... That missed the chance to see that, and I'm hoping to catch it sometime when it hits the hits home video because I hear good things about that and the lighthouse, which was woefully undernominated. Um, I also think uncut gems, like I mentioned, my name is Dolomite. Whole bunch of other movies were would have been better nominees. Just Mercy, I think, would have been a better nominee for this thing, and I just feel like it's once again uh, go watch. Uh, Renegade Cuts breakdown of the Oscars nominating process to just see how bullshit the whole thing is. But we do it anyway. We cover it anyway because it's tradition. 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 Even though it sucks. Uh, but yeah, best picture. Now, best picture was interesting because of the nominees, you would think, oh, it's Hollywood. So they're probably going to go. It's, it's a bunch of old white dudes in Hollywood. So they're probably going to go for the old war movie. Bet set in the time when about set about the time they were born. They're probably going to go for the old Hollywood movie because that's when they remember the good old days. Um, or or there may be, they might go for that Irishman because they love Marty. So you don't think they're going to go for Marriage Story because, oh, it's getting some good buzz. You don't think... Seeing Parasite nominated for Best Picture, especially after they got it for Foreign Language Film, that it would also go on to get Best Picture overall for the Oscars. And yet, major upset for this year's Oscars. And deservedly so. It's not. I prefer Jojo Rabbit, personally. Parasite winning the Oscar for Best Picture... That is a quite a is quite a triumph because one, it was not made in Hollywood. Two, it was a very powerful class war story. And number three, it's it, it's a recognition of talent across language barriers and and border and country borders. It really is just a triumph for everybody involved. And I'm hoping that it's because. They're all the, you know, once again, the camp, it's political campaigning, but with Hollywood people. So they're like, hey, why don't you watch Paris? And they're probably like, okay, well, watch Paris. Because this is one of those things, once again, these, a lot of the Academy members, they don't have time to watch, um, watch the screeners and decide for every category. So it's like, okay, they're probably thinking, ah, da, da, da. but then I'm guessing enough of them watched it or heard how good it was. And they were like, Okay, okay. They oversaw, They overcame their normal patterns of voting. Because, like, once again, it's like Moonlight winning over La La Land. Deservedly so, but you don't expect the Academy to go that way. You expect the Academy to pick something like The Artist. Or, um, you know, the usual sort of pandering to old white people in Hollywood type of movies. You would think they would eat up Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The fact that they picked Parasite over that is a is is an amazing upset, and I dig it. I am here for them their success. I'm glad that Bong Joon Ho's got some Oscars under his belt. He deserve between this Snowpiercer, uh, The Host, and Okja, just all of his movies. 
Bong Joon-ho deserves the awards because the dude is good. And the movies he makes are good. So, yeah. You know, deserving winners throughout the night, even if they're pre- even if some of them were predictable. So, yeah. Overall, a fairly forgettable Oscars, although the upsets made it more interesting. Now, once again, yeah, the Oscar ceremony, get a single host, no celebrity guests, uh, presenters, and have the host write the jokes. No in-house... Once again, there are so many things you could do to improve the Oscars writing, Oscars ceremony process, but they won't do it because they're cowards and they're corporate stooges. But that's neither here nor there. So yeah, that covers the Oscars. And uh, I think we'll, before we close things out, we'll uh, take a look at this weekend's box office report. And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. All right, looking at the top 10 this weekend, uh, from last week, a bunch of the ones that dropped out were, um, oh, uh, the turning and the rhythm section. Uh, both of those have finally dropped out of the top 10. And um, right now we're left with, uh, first off, uh, number 10, dropping from number 7, is Rise of Skywalker. Uh, brought in $2.2 million this weekend domestically. 510 so far, 550 international, worldwide over a billion dollars. Yep, same same thing. Um, although I've, uh, one of the big things I was hearing uh, rumor and from the rumor mill is that they are they are considering adapting uh, the Knights of the Old Republic storyline to film. They are. I mean, there are, there's rumors that there's going to be a, a full HD remake of that, but there's also you know the rumors that they are going to adapt that era to film and. I'm good with that. I think KOTOR would make a great uh, movie series. Uh, dropping from 8 to 9 is Little Women. Brought in $2.3 million this weekend. Uh, that's 102 domestic so far. Uh, 100, uh, with 74.5 internationally. Brought in $177 million. Solid solid work uh, from Greta Gerwig. So good for her. Even though it didn't win big on Oscar night. It, um, it definitely, you know, it's still raking in some money. So it's got that going for it. Uh, jumping up, sadly did not it did not win in the Oscars. It was woefully under nominated as well. But jumping up from an eleven to eight was Knives Out. It saw an increase of, uh, from from somewhere. Uh, brought brought in two point three million dollars this weekend, uh, bringing its domestic gross up to one hundred fifty eight. Uh, with one hundred forty international, it's two hundred ninety nine, almost three hundred million dollars. So still raking in good money from, uh, for Knives Out. And once again, one of the best movies of last year. If you haven't gotten the chance to, definitely check it out. Dropping from four to seven, big drop, was Gretel and Hansel, bringing in $3.5 million this weekend, which brings its domestic gross up to 11.5. And it's got an extra million, million and a half from the international box office, bringing its worldwide gross to $13 million. And once again, I don't have. There's a Wikipedia page. Let me take a look at that uh, budget again. Five million dollar budget, double that, uh, about ten. So it's in the black. It did well enough. It broke even. So it's got that. So good for them. Uh, drop. Staying at number six is the gentleman. Uh, brought in four point one million dollars this weekend, bringing its domestic gross. Up to 
There's a 33.5 from an international box office, bringing its, domestic, bringing its worldwide gross up to $60 million, which I think covers the budget, but isn't breaking, isn't it, isn't helping it break even. Let me double check that one as well. That one cost 22 to mil. Oh, oh yeah, they're fine then. Yeah, if they're if it costs them 22 million to make, then with the mark like the highest I can imagine their marketing being would bring it up to 50 million dollars. So they've broken even for the most part. So good for Guy Ritchie, broke even with a little with his little uh, return to uh, form. Jumanji stayed at number five, brought in five and a half million dollars, bringing its domestic gross to 298, 470 international, 768 million dollars worldwide. I think it's the highest grossing of its series so far. Let me take a look. Franchise rankings for come on. I clicked. The, I clicked the link. Go. Oh come on! I have to. Ah, stupid IMDb Pro. You suck. How much are they charging me for this? What is their uh, rate? I'll need a 30-day free trial. Here we go. Uh, 20 bucks a month, and I get. Company information, crew, cast, news, box office, franchise. All the stuff that was there from before that, that now they're hiding behind a paywall. Screw you, Amazon. Jeff Bezos can suck a cactus. Anyway, dropping from three to four is Doolittle, which brought in six, $6.6 million, bringing its domestic gross up to 639 and it's with an extra $94 million from international, its worldwide gross is $158.6 million. Still has not made back its budget. And it's been four weeks. Oh, this is, this is not going to go down as one of the biggest flops, but it is the first real bomb of 2020. And yeah, that you hate to see it, folks. Uh, dropping from two to three is 1917 with $9 million. Did not, mo- mostly won technical awards. But uh, still raking in the cash, 132.5 million domestic, 154.8 international, 287 million dollars worldwide. On I want to say, what was it? Um, what was 1917's budget like? 15 million, something like that. Not 15, 50 million. Uh, 90 to 100 million. So yeah, they've more than doubled that. They've they've easily made back their money on this one. So. Good for them. And uh, dropping from one to two, Bad Boys for Life was brought out of the top one, out of the top spot. Brought in $12, 12 million dollars this weekend. One hundred sixty six domestic, one hundred seventy uh, international. Worldwide gross of three hundred thirty six million dollars on a ninety million dollar budget. That's good news. So yeah, once again, expect expect some future entries in the Bad Boys franchise from Sony Pictures after seeing those numbers come in. And then premiering at number one this weekend, the only new release, Birds of Prey, brought in $33 million this weekend domestically, had an extra $48 million internationally, uh, so nearly made back, I'm sorry, $84.5 million, is that right? That doesn't feel right. Like, I didn't say, I don't think Birds of Prey would cost $100 million to make, but $84.5 million budget, Really? I could have sworn you could have made this was made on like a fifty to seventy million dollar budget. Like, huh, huh, with that. But they did almost get their budget back, and uh, if it can maintain its stay in the top ten uh, for the next couple of weeks, 
then I think Birds of Prey will may may do uh, well for them. I don't know how. I don't. I mean, all I have to do is break two hundred million dollars before it leaves theaters to kind of break even, and then they're good. But uh, yeah, the DCEU is still not m- making the Marvel money just yet. But I think they're still got to overcome this that the stigma that they've gotten attached to it. And uh, well, here let's uh let's associate let's associate it with birds of uh with a uh, Suicide Squad. Where's related? Can I look at related? I can't do the IMDb Pro thing, so do I have to I have to go and actually pull up Suicide Squad on the God damn it, Amazon! I am mad. I am officially mad at Amazon for what they pulled with this nonsense. Ugh. Um, Suicide Squad in its first weekend. Opened up with a hundred and thirty-three million dollars. Oof, oof. So yeah, not as big as open, opening as Suicide Squad. And I think that's ultimately what it comes down to is it. Um, you always see this with sequels. If the first, if people liked the first movie, they come back for the second one. If something happened, even if the first movie made money, if they don't come back for the sequel, you're not keeping that retention. And everybody's leaving it. So, yeah, we'll see if uh, Birds of Prey may have legs and stick around, but we'll have to wait and see. It's it's not it's doesn't it's not a, a uh, it's not a bad opening. It's not an amazing opening either. It's worldwide it made back its budget almost, but if it, can, it it's gonna have to like make back its budget domestically and hopefully double that internationally to break even. Well, so we'll see in the next coming weeks if that uh, happens. And uh, looking up to this coming week, uh, it might stay at the number one spot because next weekend is going to be interesting. We've got the big release is going to be Sonic the Hedgehog. Hmm. Hmm. Hum with that. I will say it looks better than it than it um it should. Uh, I think it. I think it's going to be interesting it looks way better with the redesign and i'm hoping that that alone will cover for um the mistakes they made the, the any any issues with the script i'm looking at the director his previous thing was a short called gopher broke which was some cg animated comedy about a you know joke about a gopher that he m- made with tim miller wait i know that name tim miller from like hey deadpool huh so like director of Sonic made a short with Tim Miller. Neat. Uh, he also wore, did some visual effects for Where the Wild Things Are. This is his first feature film. So, oof, first time director, dude. Best of luck with that. Uh, and then for the writing cr- credits, we've got Patrick Casey, best known for 12 Deadly Days for YouTube Red, some, some horror movie, and Transylvania, some... What is this? Transylvania. Spoof horror movie from the Hillenbrand brothers. Okay, then. Not a, not a good sign. Uh, what was his last... He did Into the Dark for Hulu. He, uh, he wrote a thing for that. Did 12 Deadly Days for YouTube Red. And did Golan the Insatiable. What's that one? Isn't that the thing from... Uh... Oh, no. That's not what I was thinking of. It looks like some uh, freaking... Uh, 
Like, uh, Adult Swim show. Huh. No idea what that's about. So that's one of the writers. The other one is Josh Miller, who also worked on Golan the Insatiable and 12 Daily Days and something called Dorm Days with a Z, as well as a short called Sledgehammers at Dawn and Team Hot Wheels Build the Epic Race. Huh. Huh with these guys. I have no idea if you Deadly Day 12... You know what? I'm going to go watch 12 Deadly Day... Wait a second. Is that Blumhouse? Is that the freaking Blumhouse logo? I'll be damned. That's the Blumhouse logo. Huh. Huh with that. So they did a Blumhouse YouTube Red series. I did not know this. Um. Hmm. So yeah, I'll check that out. Uh... And report back to you uh, with with them at, and Sonic. Uh, so you've got a first time director and these dudes who make really crappy comedies, and something for the and some horror slasher thing for the internet. So yeah, this could go. This could be decent, or could be absolutely terrible. There's only one way to find out, and we'll see this Thursday. We've also got speaking of Blumhouse, Blumhouse's horror remake of Fantasy Island. Yeah, they've done a horror re- reimagining of this of Fantasy Island. Crazy, right? Like you never expected that. Like, did you really? Like, seriously, did you expect that? Because I did not see this coming. Uh, you got Maggie Q, uh, Lucy Hale, Portia Doubleday, Michael Pena as Mr. Rourke. I don't doesn't look like they're gonna have anybody playing Tattoo, which I think you should have at least one. I'm sorry, Michael Rooker's in this. Hi, Michael Rooker. My nephew's gonna like that. He loves Michael Rooker. I think. Michael Rooker's the guy from Walking Dead, right? I'm thinking of somebody else? Yeah, yeah, Garden of the Galaxy, Slither, Walking Dead. Uh, so yeah, um, he's going to like knowing that. Uh, I'm going to tell him that. He's going to be big on that. Uh, but we've got Jeff Wadlow directing. He is best known for... Tr- oh. He is best known for directing Kick-Ass 2. Memoirs of an International Assassin for Netflix and producing Truth or Dare and directed... Oh, good. He directed it, too. Blumhouse's Truth or Dare. He also did Cry Wolf, which I've heard mixed things about. And something... Oh, my God. It's never back down what I think it is. Oh, my God. It's that stupid street fight movie. Damn it. God, this guy does not have a good track record. Like, apparently he's done some stuff on Bates Motel, but Truth or Dare, some st- stupid Kevin James Netflix movie, Kick-Ass 2, Never Back Down. Ugh, this does not bode well. He's also doing something called Danger Girl, eponymous group of female secret agents who engage in adventures led by former British Secret Service agent named Deuce. Oh, goody. Ugh. That is not a, that is not a good sign when it comes to director. But hey, I don't know if he's writing it. We'll see if uh, the writers have anything better. Uh, Jillian Jacobs, and I know that name. Why do I know? Why do I know the name Jillian Jake? I must be thinking of somebody else because this is the, the last thing Jillian Jacobs wrote was Truth or Dare. <sighs> please don't tell me. Please don't tell me. Christopher Roach, best known for Truth or Dare and Nonstop. Yippee! Also, 
Also, Jeff Wadlow. So he is right. Oh, goody. The people who brought us truth or dare are doing it. Oh, fun. Well, I'll break the news to him. He's got Michael Rooker, but it's the people who made truth or dare. Anyway, uh, the last of the big three releases that is probably going to get a wide in my area is going to be the photograph. It's the one I've been commenting on Twitter. It's Lakeith Stanfield and Issa Rae in a, in a black romantic drama. Um, it's brought to us by Stella Maggie. Maggie? Maggie. Maggie. G-H is a hard, is a hard G, right? Uh, but she's best known for The Weeknd. Um, I'm not sure what that is. Some independent movie. And then Jean of the Joneses as well. She did some episodes of The First Wise Club and Grownish. So she's fairly up and coming. This is probably gonna. This is the first time I'm hearing of her. So this is maybe her like first breakthrough film. We'll see how it does. I'm very curious to see how it turns out because it could either be very by the numbers or it could be really interesting and uh, unlike anything we'd seen before. But it's got a predominantly black cast. Um, you also got Chelsea Peretti in here. Um, Tayona Paris. I know that name. Why do I know? Uh, Chirac, Dear White People, If Beale Street Could Talk. Okay, yeah, I, I knew I recognized her from something. She's gonna be in WandaVision? Holy crap! Monica, Monica Rambeau. Why do I know that name? Why do I know that name? Why do I know the name Monica Rambeau? Sorry, I'm on a, Mon I'm on a Marvel tangent. She's gonna be playing Monica Rambeau. I know that... Holy crap, it's the other, uh, Captain Marvel. Holy crap, they are bringing in the other Captain Marvel. The black Captain Marvel woman is going to be in the WandaVision movie. Oh my goodness. Wait, is, wait, did, did they introduce her in um, Captain Marvel as the little girl? They're going to they're gonna do adult Monica in WandaVision. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out right now. That's a big deal. I just caught that. Crazy. I have to keep my eyes on that. Anyway, uh, we also got Courtney B. Vance, Lil Rel Howard. Um, trying to look for any other names I recognize. Those are the big ones that stick out. Kelvin Harrison Jr. That sounds familiar. What have I seen him in? Loose, uh, Monsters and Men, It Comes at Night, and... Ooh! Ooh! Was he the brother in Waves? Okay. Okay. Okay, yeah. I'm here for this. So, yeah. Uh, so, once again, solid cast. Uh, first first real, like, breakthrough, major, wide release from this uh, writer-director. Uh, we'll see how it turns out. Uh, the ones I am interested to see, but I don't know if they'll get a wide release near me. I'll have to keep... I'll let you know. Is Downhill, which is from the director... Which is from the guys behind The Descendants, Nat Faxon and Jim Rash. And it stars Julia Louise-Dreyfus and Will Ferrell as this couple on the rocks... At a ski resort that uh, suffers a disaster, that suffers a, from an avalanche, and uh, it sounds like fun. It looks like fun, and it's also got Miranda Otto, ooh, Zach Woods, uh, Julian Gray. Uh, yeah, it looks like it looks like fun from the trailer I saw. So I'm hoping it does get uh, somewhat uh, released in this area. And then the other one is Ordinary Love. It is a Cancer, a uh, romantic drama starring Liam Neeson and Leslie Manville. Uh, it's from Lisa Barros Sa, Sa, Disa, D apostrophe S A, and she's best known for Good Vibrations and something called Cherry Bomb. Is she British or something? 
Huh. Not sure. Why do I know the name Good Vibrations? Chronicle of Terry Hooley's life, a record store owner instrumental in developing Belfast punk rock scene. Ooh. Yeah, I think I've heard about that. Never got the chance to see it, though. Uh, so that's one director, and then it's she's working with Glenn Lyburn, who is the also who also co-directed Good Vibrations and Cherry Bomb. Why do I know Cherry Rupert Grint Cherry Bomb, two thousand nine, right after, right in the midst of Harry Potter, like right before it all ended, or was it right after? I forget when uh, the last Harry Potter movie came out. Um, huh. Anyway, uh, so yeah, this is something that uh, very different from them. Like, you got a teen romance thriller and a biopic about the punk rock scene in Belfast, and now you've got a cancer drama. So, weird eclectic mix they've got going there. Uh, written by Owen McCafferty, who wrote Mickey Bow and Me, which I think they w- was also directed by... Uh, no, that was directed by Terry Lone. But, um... But, yeah, it's... Uh, very, it's going to be interesting to, it looked interesting when I saw the trailer. Uh, yeah, Liam Neeson, basically Liam Neeson and Leslie Manville are trying to have some sense of a normal life, despite the fact that she is living with cancer. And, uh, it looked really charming together. And, uh, I'm very curious to see if they, um, if they get it released out here. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's what we got coming up. And that about does it for this week's episode, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this week's podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by whitelisting us on your ad blocker and favoriting us on your web browser. That way, And that way you can also check out all of our other fine programming. Dungeons & Dragon Types has been back in business, and we're, there should be a new episode coming out Wednesday. And we've also got... Um, Donna's stuff over at the Snarkast, Once More with Feeling, uh, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, uh, The Family Business, all of that good stuff. And if you yourself are a podcaster and would like to join our fledgling little family, you can do so by sending all inquiries to gubbycatnetworks at gmail.com, and we'll get back to you with uh, see and see if you're a good fit. Um, you can also check us out on your various podcast providers. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartMedia, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, and if we're not available on your podcast provider, let us know so we can check so we can fix that. And uh, be, while you're there, be sure to leave a five star rating and review. Let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. You can also share us on your various social media. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com/popcornjunkie, Twitter at cornjunkiepod, uh, Instagram at popcornjunkiepodcast, on uh, Letterbox at cornjunkiepod on Stardust at Popcorn Junkie. I'm trying to catch up. I'm almost there. And then uh, I think that's all the major social media outlets. And then if you want to support the show yourself, uh, then you can do so by supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Popcorn Junkie. That way you can donate as little as a dollar a month, get access to the currently archived 10 episodes each of uh, Make a Better Movie and Munch Along. And if we get enough people supporting the Patreon again, Patreon again, implying that people ever supported it. But if we, if you if we can get enough people getting money into the into the kitty, and then we can uh, get those series back up and running, or maybe try something new. We'll see. Uh, so that's Patreon.com/slash Popcorn Junkie. 
And then if there's anything else you want to say, any kind of feedback you want to give, any kind of um, thoughts on the re- on the movies I reviewed, uh, send those to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to share your thoughts as well. Uh, make sure you leave a note in either the subject line or the message giving me explicit permission. Otherwise, I, otherwise I'll just simply paraphrase. So uh, before I head out, I have a special treat. St- uh, you'll, I, I, the day of hearing this, you'll also see an extra episode in the feed. This is the first ever Popcorn Junkie Slimy Awards. I am sick of the Razzies bullshit, and I decided to do an, a true, honest-to-God parody of the Oscars. There's going to be the, orig- the official win- winners... No, and then as I'm preparing for, as I'm reviewing movies throughout the year, I will absolutely be writing down my nominees for the categories for next year's Slimies because you can't have Oscar without his pet's worm slimy. So, uh, there's going to be fairly, the first one's going to be fairly beholden to Sesame Street. And I plan to fix that uh, for next year as I prepare for a much more original take on the slimies without it being wholly beholden to the ses- to Sesame Street. But stay tuned for that. Uh, that does it for this week's episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, here to remind you that once again, even if they're right, the Oscars are still bullshit. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. <laughs>